Kiora, and welcome to another edition of the GeoDorable podcast with your hosts Chris Morris and Mark Thompson. For more information on this episode, visit the GeoDorable page on Facebook. How are you going, Chris? Not too bad, Mark. How are you on this? Uh, it's Monday, Monday evening here in New Zealand. It is. I mean, it, it'll be Monday evening somewhere else in the world as well. Uh, at some point, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah but no, I'm all right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a Monday, so it's good to get good to get out of, out of the way. Yeah, it's always uh, well. I don't know. Some some weeks I look forward to Mondays. Other weeks I'm wishing the weekend would be longer. Yeah, well, this isn't just a podcast, Chris, about how much we don't enjoy Mondays. This is the uh, number one geospatial podcast in the world. Oh, phew, because I was running out of Monday anecdotes there. <laughs> yeah, and, and what is it that is so great about this podcast, Chris? Uh, the hosts? No, sorry, um, the <laughs> guests. No, hang on, the articles. Oh, there's so many things, Mark. There's so many the news, things. The news, the views. The reviews, yeah, yeah. The tidbits um, of insight. I think it's, uh, you know, when you get a couple of guys, you know, who've worked in the industry who just, you know, natter on about GI. So, I mean, what <laughs> what's not to like? What's not, not to like? Um, and while we natter on, those uh, natterings are our own opinion, Chris. Oh, spot the disclaimer, Mark. Yes, very good. Um, yeah, so they're our own opinion and not related to anyone else we know or work with. I mean, sometimes I've stolen the opinion. Does that count? Uh, as long as it can't be traced, it's fine. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, you know, we're we're sort of like on this podcast is a bit of sponsorship. Ah, oh, we're on to that again. <laughs> Do you think our listeners are going to get tired of the uh, yeah the, uh, the the sponsorship demands? I, I think when our listeners, you know, um, Cough work their ways up from oh. the from being special analysts to being uh, CEOs of Google, oh, they'll, they'll remember us. Yeah, yep. they'll look back fondly and think, "God, those guys!" You know, I was on that road trip, and uh, you know, they they. Kept me going, kept me awake. Um, yeah, are they still going? Yeah, maybe. Mm. <laughs> anyway, what's on this week's podcast, Chris? Well, we have lots of news coming up, Mark. We have, uh, yeah, a whole bunch of things. Ezra has come out with new users, and we take a look at that. Yep. Um, all kinds of things. But we also, uh, we're having a follow-up to um, last episode's uh, Digital Twin discussion. Yes, um, this with is a great the Digital guest. Twin of the Digital Twin episode. Yes, well, kind of. Good enough, Mark. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. Well, that was my one thought. Um, Yeah, we have a great interviewee. We do. Um, And shall we get on with the news then? Uh, Yeah, why not? Spatial news. Oh, great news, Chris. Yes. Uh, There's a new type of Esri user. I believe, Mark, there are five types of Esri user. I'm getting overwhelmed. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I might just tear up. <laughs> there are. So, I mean, for those of you out there who uh, who have struggled with your uh, one one user and then we got level two, two users, users. <laughs> well, we've now got five to choose from. And, um, well, Esri are responding to... Uh, the, the desires of their user base, I guess. Okay. Sure. So, uh, do we know the names of these users? Well, I do. Um, so, so uh, we have the viewer, which is formerly your level one. So, if you're a level one user, you know you're at, you're viewing stuff, you're looking at stuff, you're not doing much else. 
Yep. And then uh, next along is uh, the editor, right? So you've got editing rights. You can go in and edit stuff. That's good. Uh, next along in, in the list is your field worker. So if you love using Collector, if you love using Survey123, and to be honest, who doesn't, um, or you like you like playing with um, uh, with Workforce, then you're going to be a field worker. Next and formally level two, it's the uh, the creator. Um, so you can do all the kind of stuff that you'd, you'd pretty much do uh, as a level two user, which is pretty much everything. And then finally, you get um, the GIS professional. That's the, the last level, the GIS professional. Uh-huh. And you're going, what can the GIS professional do that the creator can't mark? Go and ask me. Uh, can they use Navigator for ArcGIS? Um, that's probably a field worker level question, Mark. Mark, they can use ArcGIS Pro. I thank you. Good. Yeah, so um, five new workers trying to kind of, or levels, trying to spread out that kind of workload across, you know, different users. Um, no word on pricing as yet. Speak to your um, local distributor. Yeah, there is a line there. Uh, additional user types will be available for purchase. Sure. Hey, well, they're not going to give them away for free, are they, Mark? Well, they are with the viewer, I believe. No, that's only if you've got um, Enterprise. Ah. Mm. All right, new users. I'm just going to find some tissues to dry my eyes, and you can do the next story. <laughs> Spatial news. So, Mark, we have uh, very many um, listeners in the uh, United States of America. We do. And um, thanks, by the way, for. All the- Hi there. Sorry, oh. American accent. It's going well. Mm. Um. Anyway, uh, where do you go after that? Uh, there was uh, the midterm elections recently. Um, May I was. that on the news? Well, that, that's too recent a news. Let's go back to uh, Hillary versus Trump, eh? Well, uh, yeah, so, um, so uh, what's his name? Uh, you know, uh, cartographer Philip Kearney, I believe his name is. He's, yes. uh, he's put together a great um, little, uh, uh, what are they called? Story map of United States of Apathy. Um, yes. Now the clue perhaps is in the title. Yes, a little bit cynical, um, but sure. Mm. He his main point, and we'll, we'll just get to the chase, that more people didn't vote than voted for uh, either of the the candidates in the presidential re- election. Yep. Which is um, which is kind and, of interesting. And so yeah, I've I've actually always said that we should have a vote of no confidence as a as the final tick box. Yep. Yeah. Um, we used to do that at university, actually. You could always vote no confidence and they'd have to re-elect, oh, run the elections again. But you can't do that in the uh, democratically free New Zealand or United States. No. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, story map, just kind of going through the different states um, and how they voted, Democrat, Republic, or not voted at all. Yeah, and a lot of people didn't vote and staggering amounts on the southwest. Yeah, huge. Um, but again, story maps are useful to try and explain this sort of thing. And you don't have to read all the words. And there's a lot of words in the story map. There are. Um, to understand what the pictures are telling you, which is great cartography. Excellent. Spatial news. <laughs> now, Chris, something close to your heart. Mm, yeah. Uh, that is the splitting up of the formerly great United Kingdom. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not our finest moment. Um, could be. Could be a decisive move. Yeah, because that's that's all the news stories. Very decisive. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's. I mean, let's not get into politics, Mark. You know, that's not what we're here for. It's not what we're known for, Mark. We're we're known for you know talking about maps and stuff. Yeah, so this is a map where they've subtracted the vote from uh, from the, the remain to the leave. Yes, by the United uh, Kingdom, by um, county, by county. And I say United Kingdom. It does. Yeah, it is. The, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I would like to point out a reference to a later story. Shetland's not there. <gasps> you know, Shetland is there. Is it? Yeah, it's not in the box either. We'll come on to that in a second. <laughs> um, but yeah, so another good uh, visualization of um, I don't know people not liking some other people. Well, it's quite interesting as a um, yeah as a as a resident of the UK for some oh twenty no thirty odd years uh, before moving to this fair land in New Zealand. Um, I'm looking at these maps now, and, and they're they're pretty cool. But leave land, yeah, well. Um, we now have the Middlesex Sea, which I thought was quite cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> but to be fair, you've never really liked them, <laughs> Middlesex. Well, I'm just seeing where I where I was living, and um, yeah, I'm alright. I'm still yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, we'll post a link to that on our website now, Chris. If you heard something on this podcast and thought I'd like to see that again or read it for myself, how would you do that? Well, I mean, there are many choices, Mark. Um, we pretty much tweet every single story that um, we we have here, so you can you can follow us on uh, on my Geodorable, of course, on Twitter. Yeah. Um, you can go to our website, which is um, geodorable dot com. Yes, it is. Um, you could jump onto Facebook. I mean, people still do, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Find old friends and Geodorable. Brilliant. Um, our stories are there as well. Or if, if, you, if you're lazy and you just can't be bothered to do any of those things, uh, you could be bothered to do any of those things. Uh, you could just flick us an email. Chris. Uh, oh, yes, because we received an email. Mark. Well, we received many emails. Um, lots of emails. In fact, if we had enough sponsorship, we'd hire a PA to uh, address <laughs> their emails. <laughs> but, but at the moment, it's just you and I. Um, but we received a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how, how did that person contact us, Mark? Uh, well, we're just talking about emails, Chris. So through the email. Address being? Oh, you mean geodorable at gmail.com. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't take that. What you were putting no, down. No, no. Um, just pointing out that there was another solution to putting Shetland in a box. Yeah, so uh, for those regular listeners, uh, you'll remember last, uh, last week we talked about um, the new law in Scotland that prevents cartographers from putting the Shetland Islands, which is kind of to the far kind of north of Scotland. Sorry, I said Scotland in a box, which is the yep. name of all Scottish people to keep it away from the English, but I meant the Shetlands. The Shetlands, yeah. So, you know, normally yeah, as a cartographer, you'd put Shetland in a box and then kind of track the box. Yeah, because it warps you know. your map. Yeah. Um, but um, there's a new solution, Mark. There is. And and speaking of warping, it's it's a fantastic Awful solution. Oh, it is. Yes, that involves terribly awful changing projections um, halfway through. And uh, yeah, I yeah, it, it's it's still a map, Chris. But sure, I mean, I I almost like it. 
it's out of the box thinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're on fire, Mark. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll we'll put a link link uh, for that as well. But um, yeah, thanks, Natalie, for sending that through. That's awesome. It is, and uh, feel free anyone else to email us as well. Yeah. Spatial news. And now, Chris, we often um, we often or well, we're still in negotiations. Sorry, with Mercedes about sponsorship. <laughs> um, but other car makers are available. <laughs> We'd welcome your uh, bringing something to the table. Um, and turns out that Mapbox have uh, just worked with Porsche. They have, yeah, to um, to develop. Well, what's the title of the app? It's uh, Roads, Roads by, Porsche. by Porsche. Yeah, um, which is a scenic routing to navigate the most epic roads on the planet. It sounds like an episode of te- Top Gear, really, doesn't it? It, it does. It does. Um, so they've created it for those that simply love to drive, no matter what car brand preference, Mercedes or Porsche. Um, the app enables our community to access the sh- sh- and shape a comprehensive catalogue of the world's most exciting routes. Routes. Uh, did you know were there any in New Zealand? I haven't downloaded that yet. Um, I would I'd, love to while sitting in my new Porsche or Mercedes. I tried to download it and it said... Um, <laughs> it said you own a, toy, a Honda Fit. <laughs> it did sorry. actually say that. It said you own a Honda Fit. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. And then it said you also own a Kia Sorento. Um, neither really suitable for this kind of driving and so I couldn't download it yeah well if you own a a more interesting car than Chris um, perhaps you should download it I'd be really interested to hear from Porsche drivers to know whether you know if you downloaded it was it better because you're in a Porsche I imagine it probably was or Mercedes owners well or Mercedes I'm not yeah fast really why are we talking about it in reality we're talking about it because Mapbox who we like have um gone and worked on this cool little app it's got porsche branding on it but it's a nice little spatial mappy thingy it is it's almost like one of these uh it's a it's a story map on your phone isn't it kind of kind of yeah um so yeah it looks quite cool i think it's worth having a play with yeah uh turn by turn navigation and of course it um it's going to link to carplay ah excellent hmm Spatial news. Now, something more in my field, Chris. Oh, oh my God. You, you just, uh, I don't know, did you take a funny pill earlier today? <laughs> no, I don't take funny pills, Chris. <laughs> There's that disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so mapping 60 million agricultural fields with AI. So just uh, for, for our listeners who won't know this, why is this in your field? Sorry, Mel. Oh, because I work in agriculture. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and what they've done, this is a company called... One Soil. One Soil. <laughs> yeah, kind of reminds mm. me of a nappy. Um, mm. But... Thanks, they're not going to sponsor us now, are they, Mark? <laughs> um, and they've developed some AI learning. Yeah. Intelligence. Um, to look at... Uh, satellite imagery and various spectrums of color on the satellite, satellite, satellite imagery, um, and then determine what the crops are based yep. on common crop uh, attributes. Um, but also, they've done more than that. They're looking actually at nutrients in the soil. Well, and, and nutrients in the plants. Sorry. Yeah, 
and um, they've, they've basically split you know farmland into fields paddocks um, yeah and determine what's being grown in those paddocks yeah and i think that's really quite cool um and when you look around the uk and europe it's probably more obvious mm-hmm. than it is around the u.s um but yeah it, it's quite amazing uh, yeah, absolutely. And they've done some nice little stats as well. You know, if you roll over a, a field, it will tell you the size in hectares and what's been grown in it. Yeah. Um, yeah but some, just some, to pick up on the AI, what they're actually doing in the AI is picking up the fences, Chris. You reckon? Yeah, yeah, that's what they said they're doing. Oh, okay. Um, I know it seems... Um, Smart. I, I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty cool. What I do love is the fact that they've got a button that's called the random random beautiful fields button, and you click on that, and it just takes you randomly to a place where the fields look pretty. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it, it's yeah. It's someone who likes cartography. It is, but I I think just if you're trying to see where we're where things are going with AI and mapping. This is a really good example. Yep. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, you can imagine trying to, uh, you know, generate this information by hand, you know, or yeah, looking at field titles or whatever else, you know. This this is, um, well, I, I think when, we, when you think about the area of the world they've managed to do this for, so all of the US, pretty much all of Europe by the looks of things. Yeah. Um, a lot of Western Europe at least. South America as well, is that right? Oh, no, um, yeah, Eastern so, Europe. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, have a look at uh, one soil. Yeah, well worth looking at. Spatial news. Now, Mark, um, we love a good report. We've said it many a time. Oh, there's nothing more exciting than uh, sitting up late at night reading a good report on the spatial industry. And and the best thing about this is there are so many different reports that you can go for. Um, you can you can kind of pick your own story, really, can't you? Well, yeah, it's almost a report a week you could be reading. Um, and why are we talking about reports, Chris? Well, there's a new report by um, Ovum, um, who uh, they're a leading kind of tech research company in uh, in London, based in London. Yep. In the UK, and they have just released uh, a new report, Location Platform Index, Mapping and Navigation. Now, key findings, Chris. Mm-hmm. Key finding number one. Yep. Here is the most potential, most complete uh, mapping platform there is. For, for mapping and navigation. Indeed. Sure, yes. Yeah. Um, edging out Google. Yeah, and a few reasons for that. Uh, here has improved a lot. They've put a lot of in effort into driving more functionality um, and being more innovative. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, Google's mapping uh, pricing API, which we've talked about a few times before. Yep. Yeah, it it might be losing them customers. Oh, I think I think we can go further than that. I think it's probably definitely losing them customers. Yeah. But you know, hopefully, well, we're just waiting to hear back. Maybe somebody from uh, Google is going to come on shortly. Uh, hopefully. Hmm. Um, and then Apple. Apple, wow. You know, they were sort of Apple Maps. Oh, yeah, why would you do that? And boom, they're in it, into it. Boots and all. 
Yeah, they they, they uh, come in at number four, um, quite a long way behind. You've got to say, quite a long way behind Tom Tom. Uh, yeah, you do. Coming term is is quite a long way behind uh, Google Maps and here. Yeah. Um, but then who comes in at number five, Mark? Well, this is where so that was the leaders here: Google, Tom Tom, Apple. Yeah. Right. Now we've got the challenges, um, and we've got Esri at number one and Batbox at number two, but very close. Yeah. Just, just so close to each other. Um, and now remember this, as, as you keep saying, Chris, this is about um, location platform. Yeah, so mapping map- and navigation. We're, we're not yeah. talking GIS as such here. Yeah, and so we're not talking about the 1,001 tools there are in the um, Arc toolbox. No. Um, but we're just talking about as a platform, if you're looking for one, what would you choose? Where, where should you go? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, and then, I mean, kind of in the followers branch, would I suppose pull out Bing. Yep. Uh, being 12th out of 14th. Yeah, probably not the best look. No, possibly not. Um, but, yeah, I, it actually is quite a good read. It I is. Think. I mean, yeah, a few of the other kind of points over them have done a sort of um, um, overview. 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 No, okay. I'm, I keep trying. Not funny. Sorry. Um, indoor mapping. You know? Yeah. Um, SWOT analysis on each leader. Um, yeah, what the future's doing. I think, yeah, it is just interesting. It's one of the better reports, I've got to say. <laughs> and it didn't cost anything. No. Um, and we'll put links uh, links out there to where you can download it yourself. Yeah. Cool. Spatial news. And building up to our big interview, Chris. And... We're talking about here yet again yeah here they are again <laughs> oh my god um so yeah last story for the news um so we're building up to as you said we're building up to a, a great interview with um james fee um about spoiler alert well come on yep um about um about digital twins, uh, and we've got an interesting article here from um, here again. And really, this is about you know what does it take to uh, to build that platform, that navigation platform that um, Ovum talks about. Yeah, um, and well, really the amount of information that um, you know, here thinks believes that it's necessary to capture to make autonomous vehicles a reality. Well, yeah, and, and it's a good lead-in because I, d- I can't work out whether it's a new tagline or actually a new product. But they've, they've got something called the Reality Index, TM. So there we go. It's a trademark. <laughs> um, and that is the amount of information mixing philosophy with map making, um, which is here's massive push. So it's worth having a look at 360.here.com. It is. They often have some pretty good articles. Um, and this little bit of advertising, I feel, Chris. A little bit of uh, promotion, PR. I mean, I'd hope so. Um but it actually paints quite a cool picture of of where they're going and what they what what market they're trying for and what you'll notice, Chris, is they don't talk really about geospatial. I, I don't think even the word geo is in here, is it? Oh, I'd have to Google search that. Um, it's all about location. It's all about. Well, well yeah. it's actually it's about um, solving the problem. It is, and not trying to put any tag words in it. Um, yeah. I, trying to invent their own but um yeah so 
interesting if you like a bit of future prediction if you um like to see nice fancy uh pr websites have a look <laughs> at uh, here and and just have a look at what they're doing and how they're branding themselves cool well mark that was the news it was and as we said leading beautifully into a great interview with i mean i'd, I'd say a, a hero of mine um, oh okay james yep. v yep I mean, as, as much as we have heroes in this this special world. Well, it's it's um, we're of a similar age, um, you and I, um, and you know, throughout our careers, uh, you know, you'd often go to the uh, the James Fee blog, um, spatially adjusted. Yes, and and James James has amazing uh, communication skills and and wit. Absolutely, <laughs> that has made him quite entertaining, and but also quite accurate many times. And uh, and the reason we chose to speak to James is because he's the CTO of um, City Zenith. Um, yes, although he pronounces differently. Does he? Yeah. Don't say that now. Um, but, but anyway, if you're saying it in, in the Queen's English, you'd say Zenith. What if I was James Fee? What would I be saying? Zenith, Zenith, Zenith. Anyway, you'll pick it up. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's part two of our digital twins, um, building on what we've just talked about here. Great chat with James. Uh, yeah, and um, City Zenith are, uh, oh, what would you call them? A, um, oh, a, a company that kind of is, is uh, what's it called? The world's most advanced digital twin solution for buildings and cities. Yeah, and uh, James has a lot of experience in the geospatial industry. He does. So uh, with that, let's uh, let's go on with the interview. Hello, James. Hey, guys. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. I'm excited. <laughs> oh. No doubt you've heard about our reputation as the world's number one geo-podcast, geospatial podcast in the world. I googled it, and you, it says you are. So <laughs> it must well, be true. Great about Google, right? <laughs> yeah. It's on the uh, internet. It it is true. Yes, um, including those quotes by um, was it Einstein about the internet. Lovely. <laughs> oh, the Abraham Lincoln ones. Oh yeah, they're good as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah, James, you're a. I, I wouldn't say. Well, what was that? You can say, you can say it. You can say that. You can say it. Well, no, it's we, all right. worked, we worked out you're a similar age to us, so. Um, so you, you're just new in the industry, really. Yeah, just salty a little bit, but not too salty. <laughs> um, but you've, yeah, you've done a lot. You've um, the spatially adjusted, um, long time commenter, I suppose, on the industry. Yeah. But and now with City Zenith, how do you introduce yourself? Oh boy, yeah, that's it's tough now because. Um, I'm like everywhere, you know, I'm just what we're trying to do at CZ is everywhere. But, you know, mostly I just say I'm just trying to make it easy to aggregate and visualize information. Um, and that's, you know, kind of my focus is, is that, you know, trying to break stuff out of, uh, I want to even say, I was going to say proprietary, but I don't think that's fair because open source databases can be just as unwieldy and difficult to use. So just break data out of being hold in, 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 in whatever it is, whether it's a silo or some beautiful, you know, uh, unsiloed uh, data source and, and help people visualize them. And I think, you know, we've done that traditionally in GIS for so long with 2D data, right? You know, let's make a 2D map and show it. Uh, but it's always been hard to display cities because, 
skyscrapers and things have you know information laid on top of it and how do you visualize it so taking it to the next level and how do we do that from a 3d so i've been really focused over the last two and a half years in a 3d world uh to try and try and work with it and doing it not using geospatial tools <laughs> so you know trying to do it with non-traditional stuff which has been uh, a blast but it's also been very hard because you know you're, as you said, you're, you're like me, you've been doing this forever. And you're like, I can totally do this in arc scene. <laughs> right. And it's like, I know how to tell it, but how do I do it in unity? And it's like, okay, I can do it. I just, you have to think about it completely different, but that's okay. Cause I enjoy that. So that's what I've been doing is, is with city Zenith. I'm a CTO and, uh, where we just recently launched our product and, you know, we're basically, uh, doing digital twin stuff. And I think we could probably get into digital twinning a little bit later, but, you know, just trying to replicate the, the, the real world in a digital environment. Yep. Do you ever, have you ever introduced yourself as I'm James Fee? You may know me as from such a <laughs> web page, especially adjusted. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, <clears throat> a lot of times at the Ezra UCs, I'll, I'll be there and people are like, Hey, you're James, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, Oh, I totally, totally want to follow your blog or, you know, uh, your hangouts or things like that. And it's, it's kind of cool. It's, you know, it's anytime you're with somebody and people walk up to you and they say, I know who you are. And like friends of mine are like, <laughs> you're famous. I'm like, no, <laughs> just this, this, this narrow famous little, very small way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This little sliver of society. Uh, but that's what's so nice about, you know, the geospatial community is it is small. And so yeah, yeah. you get to know a lot of people like on all around the world, you know, um, it's really cool about that. Yeah. Yeah, um, and you're, in terms of spatially adjusted, um, you're retiring the blog. Yeah, yeah. I I started blogging in 2005. Um, yeah. Oddly, just before Katrina. Uh, and Katrina oh. was kind of a, a watershed moment, I think, for, for geospatial because that was sort of the first um, natural disaster that hit when Google Earth was available for people. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden everybody is really interested to see, you know, aerial information, satellite information, and I can change back and forth and see, you know, information. It was really, really cool. So, uh, started really before then, but my focus was, you know, I was using, um, uh, ArcIMS and I really wanted to try and break out of ArcIMS because anybody remembers ArcIMS, it was brutal. Uh, it worked, I, but I, it was I just, it was brilliant. The, uh... <laughs> The levels of JavaScript were amazing. Yes, and, and you know who doesn't like a little XML, <laughs> um, you know. But uh, I started working with open source tools. I think it was uh, Map Server was University of Minnesota Map Server back then, but um, and a little bit of PostGIS and just trying to work with that. And you know, I figured the best way to engage people was to blog about it and like not blog about it from some uh, you know authority, but just like. I'm some Esri guy who has no idea how to install this stuff and uh, I'm frustrated with it and this is what it is. And then people would comment on it and it just blew up from there. And, uh, you know, did that. I mean, so 2005, so, you know, 15 years-ish, uh, give or take. Um, 13 years, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. I just noticed the tempo-wise, it had been dying down. I don't think from any reason other than traditional GIS is something that I don't do as much 
anymore. Mm-hmm. I use, you know, JavaScript like TurfJS and, you know, a little uh, QGIS every once in a while, but mostly just trying to do things with Elastic and do them inside databases and things like that. And, you know, it just, those topics are, are, are not as interesting to blog about, right? You know, hey, look, I did some JavaScript function that does this. I mean, it's like really, <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Uh, versus, you know, traditional GIS stuff where you have a visual component to show people or, you know, Back, you know, in the early, or I said the late 2000s, um, Esri was a little more, um, uh, quiet. Like they didn't show things. So when I would go to a UC, I would say, Hey, you know, they just showed this and this and this. And it was like the first time anybody saw any of this stuff. And Esri doesn't release products like that anymore. They release them all year long. You know, they just, yeah. they, they blog about them themselves. And, um, you know, so it just, there was a lot less news. And I just, I thought, you know, there's just two options to this. You either, you know, just pivot your blog and say, you know, okay, now it's a, you know, a 3D digital twin unity thing. Or you say, you know what? It ran its course. It was, you know, it's like a book you write. And then you say, okay, the end. And you just put it up on the shelf and you can reference it back if you ever need to. But um, it, in a way, it's kind of therapeutic to, to end something too, right? You know, such legacy stuff in there. You know, I... The amount of work that I've written that contradicts other work that I've written, <laughs> you know, you, you search for a topic in my search engine, and like you'll 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 see like ten different ways I've argued that for and against whatever topic that is, and um, yeah. you know, it just it becomes unwieldy, and so I just thought to myself, you know, um, it, it is is a good time to end it, and I think you know, and, and the reason I I did that clickbait title was because I think. GIS is no longer the way it once was. Um, yeah. You know, it GIS is different now than it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you guys see it. I mean, I, you know, I went back to a, an AEC company I used to work for. And when I left in 2002-ish, they had, I think, 30 people doing GIS at an office of three to 400 people. When I came back, there was four. Um, yeah, so, sure. you know, it's, it's just the way this stuff has gone. Um, you know, and I think, you know, the idea that this is this monolithic thing that you get a degree in and then you work and you get a job and you retire is, is gone and it's become something different. And so that just seemed like a good way to end it, you know? Yeah. We're, um, yeah, we're in, we're in alignment with that because we, we have a saying on this podcast, just get off the map. Um, yeah. Which is about... It's GIS people just love to produce maps. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, well, no, you better to educate others to get them thinking spatially than you are sitting in your corner with your socks and sandals and um, producing a map. <laughs> just generalized, yeah. but you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and, and, the, and the plethora of, of software that's coming out now and companies that are investing in geospatial. Oh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you can't, if you follow anybody who does anything in like, like Tableau, the, the maps that they produce out of a product that is, you know, uh, a business intelligence application, it just, they rival GIS maps that we used to do years ago. And it's just, you know, it's like GIS used to be this small niche, you know, as we were talking about earlier, that we all knew each other and we all knew the software and we saw each other once or twice a year at, at a big conference or, and then at the local regional conference. And 
that was it. And now it's literally like everybody does this stuff. They don't know it as GIS. They probably heard of it, but they don't know they're doing GIS. Yeah. And it's it's so broad and it's almost like applying the word GIS to it limits its scope in a way that, um, you know, doesn't allow you to grow into something bigger, you know? Yeah, it's actually why I don't use the word GIS anymore. Um, I prefer to use geospatial analysis or something because GIS talks about a silo. Yeah. You know, in, in its term, it's a geographical information system. Well, actually, no, it's just a database with some different ways to report out of it. Exactly. Think, you know, you're losing if you have to use an acronym to describe what you do, you know. <laughs> it's it's too hard a place to start from. Yeah. It, it it is it is and you know in the in in most uses of of, of geospatial spatial data, it's almost like the 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 GIS is really just two fields an X and a Y at the end of a, a record, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And then all you use is whatever spatial functions are available in that in that database to do you know overlay analysis or you know intersections or those kind of things. And it just you know it becomes you know not the traditional okay let me you know let me create a uh, coverage and then let me build a coverage and clean it and then let me you know do a, an identity and then you know let me drop in an info and, and edit the table alter the table you know do that kind of stuff and. You you know that that world just doesn't exist anymore. Those pro, those proprietary tools don't, and that's why you know companies like Esri. You know, I I don't use their new product uh, ArcGIS Pro, but it's much more open to connecting to external uh, databases and external uh, data sources because that's the new reality of the world. Yeah. So how did you get into this uh, wonderful world we call kind of GIS in the first place? <laughs> Gosh, yeah, ge- the geospatial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Long live GIS. Um, can't help it. No, you can't. Uh, it, when younger, my parents had like this huge, huge atlas. Um, I was born in the early 70s. And so <clears throat> this atlas was, was amazing. But what was really cool about this atlas, it was like from 1962. So it was a dated atlas. So as I was in school, I would open up this atlas and you could go to like Africa and you would see what Africa looked like in 1962, where some countries had been, uh, you know, had gained independence from Britain and France and, and Italy and others. And then there were others that were still, uh, you know, the Portuguese and, you know, some French and, and uh, colonies that hadn't granted independence yet. It was just, it was mesmerizing to me to see this. And, you know, I really enjoyed it. It was like this, this, this map that was like real, but it was like, out of date in a really cool way. And it just really started getting me into this thing. And then, you know, you start playing risk, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, you're like, Oh, cool. And then, Oh, risk is boring. And let's use the Atlas and let's play risk on an Atlas, you know, <laughs> you know, and move them around that way. And, and, you know, things like Dungeons and Dragons and those kind of things, making maps, you know, out of those, uh, for, 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 uh, for that was, you know, really good. And I just, it, it was one of those things that clicked and all through school, I, you could guarantee that I had over a hundred percent in any geography class that I had. It was just, you know, it was like rain, man. I just, I got it. <laughs> but here's the funny thing. So when I went off to, to, to university, I, I, I didn't want to get a degree in, in geography. In fact, I didn't even think about it. You know, um, my dad was in finance and, you know, I, you know, I enjoy statistics and finance. You know, I, I, I enjoyed that part of it as well, math. And so I went into that and I did it for a couple of years and I realized this is not really what I like. Um, 
And while I was searching around to figure out what I wanted to do with myself, as my parents are like, dude, you cannot stay in college unless you know what you're going to do. Uh, I took a statistics class um, that was f- by the geography department. And it used SPSS, and, which is a piece of junk, but it yep. started getting me into you know uh, human statistics. And I started to realize that's a lot of fun. And so I quickly switched my, my, my major uh, to geography. And I was lucky enough to learn geography on pen and paper. So using pens and uh, <laughs> pen cartography, which was completely worthless. But, um, you know, that's just, you know, how universities sometimes lag. But uh, I did my final in cartography. I actually did it using uh, Macromedia Freehand and I submitted it and I almost did not graduate because the teacher was like, you cannot do this with a computer. Um, it's wrong. And so um, <laughs> I had to quickly make a map by hand uh, and submit that, it. But That's only the 90s, right? Yes, early 90s. That, that's, that's, that's quite archaic thinking for the 90s. Yeah, it, it, it was. Well, so that's what's interesting about it. So when I was... Last semester, I got a job with the city of Mesa, which is a large city out here in Phoenix, and they were preparing for the mid-decade census. And for those that don't know, in the United States, there's a census every 10 years, but they do like an adjustment mid-decade to see you know, how growth is to adjust uh, taxes and what the government gives to cities. And I was there helping them out just as like a planner. I wasn't, you know, do it, thinking of doing any GIS, you know, just making some maps by hand, you know, using computers, but not GIS. And they dumped a Sun Solaris workstation with ArcInfo 5 on my desk. And everyone looked at me like, you just graduated. You know how to use a Unix computer. Now, I did know how to use HPUX uh, from statistical work, but, you know, it was, I had ArcInfo. What the heck is this thing? Um, but back then, that's when Esri actually produced usable manuals and they were in binders and you'd start at A, you know, <laughs> and you'd end in Z and you'd just, they gave, you know, example of a alter command and they would give you a real world example and you'd look at it and you'd be like, oh my goodness, I totally get this. Uh, versus now it's like the alter command alters tables, you know, and you're like, what does that even mean? You know, but it would show. So I taught myself, I think it was five, I think it was ArcInfo five. Um, I taught myself how to use uh, GIS that way uh, by hand. And um, quickly I learned that, you know, uh, cities are not the best place for innovation in GIS, uh, especially back then because technology hadn't really gotten into there uh, yet. But, uh, you know, I moved out uh, into the real world in the AC industry, which I was able to really leverage uh, ArcInfo along with a proprietary VMS GIS system created by a company I used to work for, which was really fun because when you had to print out maps, the scale was based upon asterisk size on a piece of paper. So you have to print it out and then figure out what the scale was because you, you, you could only have asterisks as lines, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> those were good times. Oh well, yeah. Well, VMS, right. Imagine there's kind of, you know, uh, younger, younger listeners, um, you know, <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? You know, <laughs> but it, it, it was, watch it was, you know, yeah, watch a movie from the 80s and you see these, you know, uh, these. They were called mini computers, right? They weren't yep. uh, servers and they weren't, you know, personal computers. They were like this middle expensive thing. You know, I guess you could say that almost like Unix workstations became mini computers in the in the nineties, but you know, they were Prime and uh, you know DEC and you know all these crazy uh, company names that have long uh, ended. And 
um, you, you'd use these crazy operating systems to do things that made no sense and were not applicable anywhere else. But that's just these things were written that way. And, uh, you know, Arc Info was originally written for Prime. Uh, but yep. lo and behold, for some reason, Jack was convinced to write uh, that he had to rewrite it for uh, Solaris. And, well, I guess the rest is history for Esri because that was probably the best thing he ever did. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the manuals. I, I, I still have memories of, uh, you know, actually sitting down with those manuals and, and they were like works of art, you know, they, they were, were kind of the, yeah. There was People have no thing. idea how many binders there were too. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like we're talking about two binders. There was, was it 10 or eight or 10? I mean, there was more than yeah, yeah, yeah. a yeah. couple. And yeah, that also matched the floppy disks that ArcView came on. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Used to come on, on the 20 floppy disks. Yes. Every once in a while you'd be like, I don't have a CD drive to install this. I need, <laughs> I need to find who has the floppies. <laughs> Goodness, yeah. So with the, I suppose the changing market, or changing market, changing face of a, of spatial intelligence analysis. What? How do we refer to ourselves now? What? What is it that the industry is? Gosh. You know, I always, you said geospatial. I use the word spatial, but it's kind of the same thing, right? You, you, you basically, it's, it's somebody that, um, you know, you're an, I mean, we used to say GIS analyst, right? I mean, that was kind of a job that somebody have. I mean, we're spatial analysts. We're geospatial analysts. I mean, that's, you know, if that's what you're doing where you're taking data and making maps and, and creating reports and those things, you're an analyst, you know, it's like a financial analyst or someone, you know, any of these other ones. I mean, that's what you are, but, I think, you know, it's the opposite of we normally think, right? You're a GIS. Traditionally, you think, hey, I'm a GIS person. I'm working in finance, right? Um, yeah. So I'm a GIS guy in finance. But I don't think it's that way anymore. It's I'm a analyst two or whatever <laughs> the job title is, but which requires that you understand how to do spatial analysis. Um, so that, that the job title has changed. Maybe what you're doing hasn't changed so much. Maybe the methods, you know, and the software you use, but it's, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily, you know, uh, a clip is a clip. <laughs> Intersection's an intersection, right? Overlay analysis is what it is, you know. Show me all X within 10 kilometers of Y. I mean, it's, that's, that's GIS. As anybody who got off the boat hadn't been around the, you know, has <laughs> been lost at sea for 10 years, I mean, they would say, yeah, that sounds like GIS, but we say no. That's not GIS. It's just every day. It's, it's an everyday job. Yeah. And do you think the community makes it hard for itself um, by wanting to stick Jira in front of everything or have the word web map? It's just a web page. And yeah. I, I think initially, right, you remember when mashups started first coming? And everybody in GS is like, oh, my goodness, get these mashups out of here. We've been doing mashups since 1972. Um, you know, it's it was just, you know, we're better than you. Um, we already know how to do this. It was very aloof. Um, but the people that were doing those mashups, those are the ones that created Google Maps. Those are the ones that created Waze. Those that created, you know, Uber and all these other things that, that – that, they didn't, didn't come to Greece in GIS. They just knew they needed a map to display something and figure out how to route something more efficiently. You know, so we as GIS people, traditionally, I think, were, we feared change, right? Because we wanted to, we, we, GIS people reinvent themselves all the time, but they reinvent themselves on their own terms. When outside influences tell them to change, they become very 
circle the wagons and, you know, we're, we're going to stick our heads in the sand. But I think that mentality has changed. Um, you know, one, because job market has changed. People who had traditional, you know, GIS manager have lost their jobs and they've come back into the workforce as a different, you know, uh, you know, they're not a manager, they're an analyst, but they're, you know, probably making more money, honestly, <laughs> you know, but so they've, they've, they, they, I think they've embraced change, right? That, that, you know, I don't, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I, people would ask me, you know, I, I need to get a degree in GIS. I need to learn ArcGIS and I'll have a job, right? And they would come at me with those questions and say, yeah, you know, you learn ArcGIS, it's a pretty marketable skill. Um, but I don't, I don't get those, I don't get those emails anymore. I don't get people asking me those questions on, on Twitter anymore. I think people just realize that, um, that, you know, GIS is like word processing. It's just required for every business that does something, you know? Um, and so people are approaching this differently. They, you know, might say, Hey, I enjoy, you know, today, if I was, you know, a millennial and I was in college, I might go into finance because I could embrace the geospatial part of finance, which I couldn't, express back in the early nineties, uh, because it just yeah. wasn't there ready. So, you know, and I, I think <laughs> <laughs> probably, 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 but, uh, <laughs> a lot more time to drink beers as the, uh, as, as the analyst, uh, the analysis runs, right? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So, I mean, I think you're probably right in terms of that, you know, the, the GIS career isn't uh, anywhere near as obvious as, as perhaps it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, but there still seems to be quite a, a lot of people who don't think in terms of, you know, there is some form of spatial analysis in in, in, in kind of lots of uh, different working markets, but you still, you know, I'm a consultant. I still come across companies who haven't even thought about it. No, no, it, it, it blows my mind too, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that you're absolutely right. You know, they, they do it the, the, the easy way, you know, they, uh, do something, you know, do some geocoding in, in Google Earth, you know, and yep. that's all, you know, okay, I know I got my points on a map, I'm done, cool, you know, and they don't do any further analysis to see, you know, uh, you know whatever the problem is to solve it a little deeper. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But on the flip side of that, um, the, the geospatial tools are just blooming. It's like some sort of alcohol yes. bloom at the moment. <laughs> and, you know, we've had Uber destroying the market. Which um, you know, it's a bit left field. But yeah, is it is it now getting very blurry? I mean, back in the old days, we could have stopped talking like that. But you know, there's, there's <laughs> yeah, ten years ten years ago. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's just turning the podcast is turning into you know three men reminisce about GIS. Yeah. Well, that's 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 almost every GIS beer uh, beer fest is. Yeah, yeah, true, true. <laughs> uh, but there's there's so much out there now, and and there's. It is the ability to pick the right tool for the right job. You don't have to stick with the um, with one tool you've used before. But is it getting too blurry? So that's actually a really interesting point. It's you know when you had what Esri and maybe MapInfo and maybe Intergraph. You know you had a couple choices, right? You yeah. you, you didn't have this uh, overwhelming. Uh, what do I pick? Um, you know, what do I do? You know, you were, you're most likely, you know, right. You'd be go, I'm just going to use uh, Esri because that's what my company has or map info because that's what my client uses kind of things. But now you, you say, okay, I'm going to go to um, GitHub and I'm going to look for a Python library that allows me to um, 
do nearest neighbor on uh, grid analysis or something like that. And there might be 10 or 15 different things uh, that you can choose. How do you know which one? You know, do you pick which one has the most likes? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, which one's written by, you know, maybe one's from, uh, from Mapbox, one's from Esri, one's from, you know, and you're like, which one do I use? You know, that's, it's really hard to do. I mean, we, we were playing around prototyping some things using uh, the Mapbox uh uh, JavaScript, GL JavaScript library and uh, dumping 3D files in there. And I know that um, Mapbox had been using uh, Uni- uh, not Unity, um, uh, Uber's 3D uh, library uh, to do it. But we ended up using uh, one called XEOGL, uh, which is another one that we just happened to find because I forgot that, <laughs> that Uber had, had their visualization <laughs> library. And uh, we just went ahead and used it, you know. And it, uh, <laughs> you know, as I say, we, we did exactly the same thing we could have done with, with, with Ubers. We just did it with XEOGL. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny like that. You know, it's, it's even, you, even if you know better, <laughs> you can't remember which one to use. Yeah. Uh, so how do you, how do you go about, and you must have this as, as CTO. CTO? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, the, the question of ROI, and especially with open source, the people are still slightly risk adverse. Mm-hmm. But you know, you, you're going well. This is the library we're choosing, choosing, and the you know, next question is how long it's going to be supported for. You know, how much vibe is in the community? How how do you advise around that? Yeah, so that's a that's a really good question. So. The one thing with open source versus proprietary is you can get the source code. So if you know what you're doing, you can, you know, let's say I used Turf example earlier. You know, Mapbox has written this Turf engine and uh, it's in JavaScript and it's really cool. We use it all the time. Let's say they built a new one in Golang or something like that and then they stopped using this one. It would be okay because we can use it. We have JavaScript guys. We can, you know, we've, we've already, you know, uh, you know, customize it for ourselves. Uh, uh, that's okay. It gives us the power to do that versus, you know, if, if Esri had, uh, you know, uh, let's say Esri tomorrow decided they were going to drop uh, uh, 3D analyst. I mean, they're not, but let's just say they were. You'd be like, oh, shoot. <laughs> um, you know, it's gone. The license is gone. I can't use it anymore. I, I can't use the yeah. code anymore. You'd, you'd be out of a, out of a thing. And, and I, you know, I don't mean to pick on Esri because they do have open source tools that you can do, but that's what's nice about open source is you can, you can do that. But the thing with that is, is you have to know how to really use JavaScript. Like, you don't have to know. Well, you can use, for example, like Turf, and not know how to program JavaScript. You know, you can just use the command line ish tool to to run your analysis, and you don't have to know a lick of of um, JavaScript. You just have to know how to submit um, you know variables in the right order. Uh, but let's say that that happened to you, you know, they dropped turf and turf was not going to be updated anymore. Um, you would be stuck cause you'd be like, I have no idea how to actually extend this beyond, uh, what yeah. I need to do. So that's a, that's something to, to keep in mind. I mean, uh, open source projects that are supported by large companies are more apt to get supported, um, for longer periods of time because, you know, like turf, for example, we keep going back to that one. I mean, Mapbox uses that in their day to day, uh, you know, applications. So, they're vested to keep that built. Um, yeah. But, you know, if if I created a library that did the same thing as Turf, and I did it while I was at, you know, AECOM, 
and then I get my job at City Zenith, I might not put any effort into that anymore. So that would just sit in my GitHub, and people may, uh, you know, clone it and do things with it, but it wouldn't be it. So it's I don't know if there's an easy answer to that, but I guess the easy answer is learn the language it's written in, <laughs> you know, um, and, and go from there. But, you know, if you know how to use Python using a Python library, you can extend that out. You know, it should be logical to extend it out. It just becomes things that I think are written in C or, or C Sharp or, or um, C++ that, you know, be a little weird to people. Yeah, I know. Speaking of old school languages. <laughs> <laughs> Assembly. <laughs> I think that, you know, the, the question was around um, there are so many, you know, yeah. different kind of technologies. But but I think that's, that's part of the, I don't know, part of the freedom, I guess, is that you can move. You know, you, you don't want to be constantly having to rewrite your, your software every couple of months. But, you know, there is that freedom to move. And I think, you know, in, in the past there hasn't been, there has been, you know, well, you're using this or you're using this. You haven't had the choice. And now that yeah, you yeah. have got the choice, you, you know, you, you, you get to be more flexible. But also the licensing <coughs> costs them a lot less with open source. So um, your investment sure. in licensing, licensing might actually, uh, or lack of investment, make up for the a bit more investment in development. Yeah, you 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 get to, uh, you know, it gives you the freedom to use it the way you want to use it. You know, um, you don't have to worry about how many licenses of X you have because. Uh, of some archaic licensing system, you can just use it the way you want, you know, as long as you're adhering to whatever license that the open source software has. But generally speaking, you know, they, except for a few ones, most of them are very open with their licensing. And it gives you that freedom to use it wherever it is. And it, it almost, that's the freedom to do that outweighs just the license it costs, uh, which is yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay, so digital twins. Yeah. Now, Chris has twins. <laughs> they're identical and i can practice something on one and see what happens to the other how much as it turns out but did uh city and you, you say zenith zenith city zenith yeah yeah got a slightly different pronunciation down there. yeah i know it's the king's english or queen sorry she's Queens, still she's yeah. still alive she's i'm still sorry around. she will outlive me <laughs> Quite likely, um, but, but you've you're a 3D company, but now you're saying you're a, a digital twin company. Yes. Is that is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think it is. I don't. I don't think we've really changed what we do. Right. It's just these things. You know, it's like that Gartner hype cycle, um, mm-hmm. and terms come up that. Um, you know, makes sense. And then people all, all of a sudden, everyone jumps upon it. You know, smart cities was one for a while that everyone jumped on that. Um, we started talking about digital twins about a year and a half ago. Um, you know, and, and it, they really started getting some traction. I, you see it a lot now. Is, I think even Esri has a page about digital twins now. Um, cause it's, cause yeah, cause it's, I think it's when you, some things you say don't make sense. Like you say, hey, the cloud, and you're like, what? You know, what is a cloud? <laughs> so abstract. But a digital twin, just the words make sense, right? You can picture what that is. Um, you know, it's a digital representation of a real world object. Um, well, you know, yeah. this is where we get, we're, we're, let's say we're slightly confused because we've done 3D models before. We yes. A bunch of tools. But now the digital twin, it's 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 more than a three D model, right? Yes, it is. So it's, it's more than 
3D. I'll put my buildings into uh, some sort of 3D GIS stuff. Right. So that's the first step, right? To, to do a digital twin, the first thing you need is that 3D model of your building, an accurate 3D model of your building. So because you, you can't replicate the real world unless you have, you know, it's like a map. You can't, <laughs> you can't do anything unless you have a map, right? I and mean, that's a GIS person. It's like, hey, give me a map. That's what I'm going to start with. So that's the first thing you start with a digital twin is, is, is that BIM model per se that you get in. Um, then once you've got that BIM model and you start working with it and it, it becomes this, this way to connect external data sets to the real world object. So what do I mean by that? Um, things like IOT, devices, you know, where they, you know, they're, they're everywhere in these brand new buildings. The whole building is live with them, you know, whether they're cameras or heat sensors or door sensors or motions. I mean, there goes on and on humidity, security. Um, you know, you, you can see those, you know, on a traditional, you know, quote unquote dashboard, um, you know, saying, Hey, room one Oh two, the alarm is going off. And you're like, what does that mean? Um, so digital twinning is when you take that data away from that, you know, traditional Archibus or Oracle uh, kind of 2D. It's not even 2D. It's just tabular view and connect it to a th- real world object so that, you know, when, I mean, you see these, these un- in movies, you know, when, when, you know, the characters like look, you know, alarm was off and he looks at it and it does this like crazy zoom to the room to show you exactly where the, uh, the alarm's going up. That's, that's digital twinning. You know, it's, it's bringing in things like facility information, energy, security, leasing information, um, financial data and connecting it to that. I mean, it's, I'm describing GIS, right? I mean, this is, not a new concept per se, uh, but you know it's it, it it's been really popular in the building industry. That's um, been really consumable for them because they understand that term. They understand those things, right? You know, uh, leasing information. Okay, cool. I got a leasing information database. Okay, cool. I can see a you know a picture of a building um, and says, hey, rooms, you know. Uh, uh, or floors, you know, five and eight are open. And what does that look like? And I can click on a link and I get a PDF and, ooh, that's exciting. But, you know, if you can actually navigate through there and, you know, be able to see, uh, you know, live views of it, you know, connect to um, things like Matterport to get, you know, walkthroughs of these things, it's, it's really, really key. So it's how do you replicate a building in the real world um, digitally? But bring along all that information that's out there, and um, you know these 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 buildings are you know they're you know smart you know they have smart sensors they have things going on they're lead certified you know they can see where people are going around just by swiping their cards and uh, there's you know sort of reviewing it on a tabular uh, form this allows you to see it um, in a much easier way because you guys know it as much as I do the three D view. Is, is so much easier than a 2D view for buildings. Um, yeah. So so I guess I, I, can, I can go, yeah, digital twin for a building. But how'd you do it for a city? Okay, so cities are, you get into things that we call LOD, so level of detail. Yep. Um, so in a building, you go down deep, right? You want to get into, you know, what's going on in a particular building. Some of it's proprietary, uh, proprietary nature, not proprietary, you know, software, but um, yep. companies don't want to share that. Right, you, sure. you. The last thing you want to do is tell the people ever the world where your security system is. Um, yeah. But at a city level, what you need to do is replicate the city. Now, you could conceivably have highly detailed buildings in the whole city, right? Uh, but the odds are you you won't because a lot of people don't want to share 
that yep. data with you. So you end up starting with the shells of buildings, um, you know, maybe like an LOD3 model where it's a highly detailed, you know, you could totally tell this is the Eiffel Tower. Well, Eiffel Tower is a bad example, but this is the Empire State <laughs> Building. You know, this is the the Burj. This is, you know, whatever, uh, you know, Sydney Opera House. I mean, it's iconic buildings that you could picture in your mind that, you know, when you look at them there, they look exactly how they do. Uh, those buildings, cities have sensors around them, you know, parking, temperature, uh, things like gunshots. Uh, San Diego, they have uh, uh, um, microphones around the city to yep. triangulate yep. gunshots. You know, those kind of things. Those are available. Um, you know, pedestrians walking around. Um, that kind of information is available. And that's where this really becomes interesting because if you're, you know, let's take a, the, you know, the commercial real estate industry. Um, if you have a smart city that has things like uh, pedestrian traffic around um, and you can know where people are historically, different times of the day, you can determine better the value of a particular corner. Um, or, you know, you could look, let's say you're an architect and you're designing a building, right? Where do people, where, where makes the best sense to have your entrance to the building? Uh, is it better to have it on this street or this street? Because you can see where parking is, you can see where people are walking, maybe it's closer to, uh, you know, the metro entrance or, or whatever. So you can start doing this analysis uh, and bring that in and combine these two things, combine this highly detailed digital twin of your own property that gets down into, you know, the weeds and then this this greater look of the city, um, you know, bringing in things like like uh, Twitter uh, to, to look at sentiment analysis around a city, um, you know, um, Foursquare and, and Yelp and things to create, you know, what's going on and how people feel about particular parts of the city, you know, those kind of things. Uh, it uh, Same concept, except it, it doesn't get down to proprietary data, right? Yeah. So, because we had this discussion last week on the last episode of our podcast, um, and Chris was quite skeptical. Um, so I just wanted to ask, actually, Chris, if he's more convinced now that a digital <laughs> twin is. Well, I, I guess it's. Um, I, I do think there's an there's an element of buzzwordiness around it in terms of you know smart city and uh, you know these these kind of terms crop up all the time. I think I can I can kind of see as an individual, you know, the, the, you know as, as a, a property building owner, I can kind of see, you know, where, where you're coming from in terms of bringing that extra information in to understand more about, you know, I think BIM kind of stops at the curtilage of the building, right? You know, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't really know about the outside world. And I can see there's, you know, what you're describing is a great case of bringing the outside world kind of into your BIM model so you, you know you're better informed and so forth but that across a city I still struggle with I think you know because I think there are so many um, the unknown is always the human being I think so you, if you're trying to model something and yes there's there's kind of certain you know we all roughly get up between you know 6.30 and 8.30 and, and you know there's certain patterns but humans make things difficult we well, they're you know, a bunch of jerks they yeah, keep moving totally. around. They keep yeah. moving around. Yeah. Oh, it, and that and that is a, that is a problem, right? Because when you're looking, it's like uh, what is it? Allegory in the cave, right? You know that this idea that you don't actually see what's going on. You see the shadows of people doing their things, yeah. right? So you're looking at the shadows of what people are doing. You don't. You can assume they're doing something by the way their shadow is, but they could be totally doing totally something different. And that's just the way this is too. It's you know you you can make assumptions about people and what they're doing but um it's it's sometimes you know you got to take it with a grain of salt so that's why on a, on a, on a building level 
you can make assumptions because you control everything, right? Yep. You know that, yep. that people are coming in. You know that, hey, when I go through the gate, I swipe my card, and I know that's James, and I know he's headed to the elevator. And then, oh, he swiped the card, and he went into the city zenith you know, uh, office. Totally logical. But on a city level, <clears throat> you don't know who I am. You can see that a person is walking down the street, but you don't know, is he, did, you know, is, did, does he live here? Does he work here? Is he just down because he's a tourist? You know, you don't know these things. And so you make generalized assumptions, but you can't make detailed assumptions about this data. Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, you know, there there are new data sets uh, or new companies particularly looking at, you know, tracking mobile phone information um, that are really starting to change that view? You know, that you're not, you're not seeing the individual James Fee, but you are seeing people as a whole move throughout a city. Yeah, it's some, it's you know, yeah. So so this is like a really big topic. We were I was at uh, uh, RealCom, which is a uh, real estate technology conference, and it was in Vegas this year. And they were talking a lot about um, uh, uh, the the cameras being able to to figure out people are right, and that's a really big problem for a lot of people, right? You know, you need to have a camera that's high enough quality that you can tell that it's a person, and some of them can figure out if you're a female or a male. But you don't want the camera to be able to say that, hey, that's James. It's tracking who mm-hmm. James is. Mm-hmm. That makes people very different, uh, very nervous, and it opens up liability to companies that are going on, right? You know, because if you could see, you know, that that's somebody doing something, you know, maybe you could have protected them, or you know, I mean, you can only imagine all the things that come up there. That's the thing with 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 um, cell phone data too is. Um, you have to be very careful releasing it because if they release it incorrectly, then you could get, oh, hey, here's James walking around a city. And, you know, I now know that he did X, Y, and Z, you know. And so that's why, you know, that's why you don't see AT&T and Verizon really truly releasing this data as well as they could. They have. They they figure it out on their own. They just – are yeah. really really nervous, but you know as much as I do. If they, if if AT and T, uh, Verizon, uh, Orange, you know, uh, you know, all these companies around the world release this data, you would you could totally see where people really are going because that's the one thing everyone has in their pocket is a cell phone. Yeah, well, yep. but driver here bad enough. <laughs> right, so you you don't trust them to do this correctly. I mean, that's the problem. Uh, it's, well, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Like because um, you know, I've, I've had uh, situations where you know, I've got an Android phone, and and uh, Google have been good enough to tell me, you know, you need to leave now if you're going to make to this meeting on time. You know, and it, and it's using the the current um, road network and the current traffic levels to to tell me that I need to leave five minutes earlier, right? Yeah. So there are obviously there there are personal benefits that I think lots of people accept but i think it's that taking it to the next level and it's the it's you know um there's a vodafone analytics uh you know they've yeah. got an analytics platform you know it, it's it's showing you you know aggregated data but it's i think it's really interesting and i think it, it supports this perhaps this digital twin vision because it does give you that more than patterns you know it's more than that generic pattern it's actually showing yeah. you how people are moving well that's like Uber has released their data. Yeah, uh, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they 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 they're smart enough to release it correctly that you can't figure out truly, you know, who yep. the people are and where they're really going. 
Yep. But it, it does tell you that, hey, in a city, this is where, you know, people generally take Ubers from, you know, uh, JFK airport to Manhattan. Well, that seems like, a, I mean, maybe we wouldn't need Uber to tell us that's what people do. But, you know, you get to, but once you get into Manhattan, you can start seeing trends different times of day, how people are going. You see in the morning, people are coming from, you know, Brooklyn and going into the city to, to work. And then, uh, you know, they go home at the end of the day and the weekends, they, 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 they come at a different time and yeah. do their things. And so that's really interesting. And, and so maybe it's not so much, you know, companies such as, uh, you know, AT&T that are going to do this, but it's going to be the, the, the Ubers and the, uh, Snapchats and the other ones that are tracking this information yeah. that are going to release it in smart ways. But yeah. so you, um, you mentioned earlier, uh, well, you've mentioned quite a few times, you know, real estate. Um, and I think, you know, by the sense of things, they're they're kind of a a client of City Zenith. Is other is is there a particular type of um, group of people that you you look to target? Yeah, I think you know built environment is really where we are. So uh, there's a couple of things, right? We, it's from the conception of a building. So you know the idea of an investor, uh, 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 you know that somebody wants to invest in a building or someone a landowner that has owns land wants to start with something. Uh, then you, you you bring in an architect. The architect works through the building, right? Then engineers come in and engineer it. Then the construction firm builds it. Right. And so there's that whole process of that going on. Um, you know, tracking that, you know, we do version control to, to see change over time. Uh, so you can see a project get built, uh, as as built get delivered. But then once that's done, it's, it's not the end of the story, right? You know, once a building's built, you know, traditionally people take the BIM model and they put it on a CD drive and they put it on their desk and, or in their desk and they never look at it again. So yep. what we want to do is, you know, why we want to get involved with architects is then we take this BIM model and it becomes what the building owner uses, uh, the building manager uses to maintain the building. Um, and so there's that life cycle there. And that's when the um, uh, real estate companies come in, right? Because they're the ones that are trying to lease the space and they're trying to find people. Uh, maybe they're even managing the buildings. Uh, that's where they come in. And then, you know, over time, the building, maybe you bring back a construction company or an engineer to, to change a building, right, to renovate it or to knock it down. And so there's this this, this life cycle of a building. Uh, you know, we haven't been around long enough to see <laughs> the yeah. whole thing, a building go through the whole stages. But yeah. uh, that's sort of how I envision it from basically the idea that somebody wants to create something somewhere to the point that it's outlived its useful existence and it needs to be either renovated or uh, demolished. Yeah, well, it's actually isn't getting, it's getting faster and faster in terms of demolishing buildings. Yeah, yeah, there's no time. There's no time to enjoy. <laughs> so, speaking of, of moving fast, there's, there's a few cities in the world who, who, are, who are leaders, but, um, you know, claiming to be smart cities. Who do, who do you think in the world is the one to watch who's who's doing the oh my goodness it's, it's a it's a it's a tough question to answer so i i look at smart cities as really two areas um north america and europe and i guess you would include as many do australia new zealand in that um group we don't um, included in those i know but you are you are in this group. Um, I don't know what we call that group, but it's, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's traditionally the first world. If you think about, you know, archaic cold world terms. We're um, talking about Australia, though. Yeah, that's true. It's a bunch of convicts. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, it's, 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 it's stable governments. It's cities that are really built out. You know, there's change happens in a, 
building by building level or a block level, right? You, you don't see like whole city knocking down whole sections of a city to rebuild it. Uh, just doesn't happen. Um, so these are more traditional models. Those are, are handled one way. You know, they, they're, they're really good about releasing open data. Um, people in the cities are very nervous about releasing IoT information. So that stuff usually is withheld because, you know, they don't like the idea that my picture is being taken by my government. Uh, you know, uh, so, so, so that they're stable, they're, they're, they're easy to work with, but they're, they're not, you would, you know, you wouldn't hold them up as a model, um, you know, smart city. Uh, they're very smart sections of the cities, but the cities aren't as a whole smart. Where you start getting into the ones where you just say these are amazing are obviously the Middle East, um, you know, where they just build brand new cities from scratch. Uh, India and China, uh, where they're just the greenfield cities, like here's farmland. And, you know, in 10 years, it's going to be a city of a million people. Uh, that's where governments can do the things that they can't do in the Western world to, uh, you know, eminent domain is not a problem in these countries, right? You know, you don't have to f deal with courts. There's a slight um, democracy <laughs> aspect you're dealing with. Yeah, but that's, I know, I don't want to be unfair about that either because, you know, some of these countries are democracies. They just, the way they're structured is differently than yeah. others. And, and their needs are different too, right? I mean, uh, you know, a country like India is growing so fast. They don't have time to, to go through, you know, the yeah. 50, 60 years to plan a city, right? They need to get them done in five years. Mm -hmm. uh, same with China, you know, you, they, you throw up these cities so quickly. Um, but when they're doing this, they're doing it in a way that they don't do it in the new uh, in, in 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 the Western world because they're doing it from scratch. Every city, every every building is is IoT. Every sensor is everywhere, and so these things are are tracked a lot differently than they are. And so it's both. There's nothing wrong with either one. I mean, there's really good things about either one. It's just the way they're implemented is very different. And so I would say in the Western world is you see. Um, uh, you know, community-based things, you know, uh, we like, we call them at cities, you know, campus style, you know, so here's the, this, this, you know, four block redevelopment area and it, it's, you know, all lead platinum and it's got all these, you know, IOT, you know, the whole building is, you know, IOT, but across the street, you might have an old building that has no, <laughs> it's not lead certified and it's got nothing in it. Right. You know, uh, security systems, an old guy sitting on a stool in the front of the, of the building. Um, Whereas, you know, uh, the, you know, these new cities they're building in, uh, in, in Qatar and, and Kuwait and, and uh, you know, Dubai and things like that is, is they just, uh, you know, they're, they're just from scratch. They're written to be, you know, smart cities. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, that investment and in, in, in upfront and without having to retrofit and it's, it's their mindset. Yeah. The beginning. We want. We want to start where technology is now, rather than we want to wait until we see what the technology is, but our building's already built. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think both, um, you know, Mark and I worked in Singapore for a while, and that's, you know. Well, that's a great example. Yeah, you know, and I think, I think that's where I always kind of, when I think of, you know, smart city or what they're trying to achieve, I kind of, you know, end up back at Singapore in, in, in terms of, you're right, it's the stable government. Um, and that willingness to invest, I guess. Yeah, and, and, and a populace that is okay with being tracked. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's the other thing is you got to have the people, you know, in, in the United States, Europe, you know, New Zealand, Australia, people want lead buildings, right? They they want buildings that are efficient, but 
they don't want to pay for them and they don't want, you know, to, to, they, they want the air conditioning to work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, those, those things are not necessarily complementary of each other. Um, yeah. but in certain cultures, you know, it's just, you know, we think of it as, you know, Singaporeans think of, you know, Singapore is the greater good. And so they're more apt to, to, to make decisions that, uh, you know, affect the city in that way versus, you know, as, you know, for example, someone where I live in Arizona, uh, you know, get out of my, get out of my backyard, <laughs> big government. Yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Speaking of like complex systems and that, you're, you're a baseball fan. Yeah. I'm quite a big baseball fan, but have you considered cricket as, as a more intellectual challenge? So, so I've uh, a good friend of mine is from England and he has tried to get me to understand what the heck is going on. All I know is you, is you, you hit the ball with a paddle and then you run back and forth between <laughs> some sticks for some indeterminate amount of time. And up, up, you play up, for six. like, yeah, you play for like, you've got the rule, you, the rules nailed then. Right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I just saw a cricket thing the other day where it was, I think it was Pakistan versus uh, somebody else. And this guy thought he hit whatever the equivalent of a home run is, but the ball did not reach. Yeah. yeah, And and they kind of stopped thinking they had done something. And then the ball got thrown in. I was like, Hey, that's totally like baseball (laughs) where someone thinks they did something they didn't, you know? And it's like, but you know, I, I do watch cricket every once in a while. You know, it's uh, I don't have cable here. I use a streaming service, and there is a cricket channel. <laughs> and sometimes I'll be flipping through. You know, there's nothing on. I'm like, let's see what's on cricket, and it is quite interesting. It just, you know, the minute I think I understand something, something different happens, and yeah. I, for the life of me, I can't logically figure it out. But I will enjoy baseball, and there's a lot to baseball that is completely illogical. So. I get that. I get that. It's 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 tough. I just the whole running between two sticks. I don't I don't understand how. And then you're carrying your bat, but you're not batting. I don't I don't, yeah, I don't know. No, it's, it's it's different. My um my twelve year old son is into cricket a lot. We watched baseball with our friends, and he was just sitting there going, "I don't get it. What's going on? I don't get it." And yet he'll sit for five days and watch. Watch what's going on. So. They uh, Intel has a lot of plants, uh, manufacturing plants around where I live, and so there's a lot of people from uh, India and Pakistan, you know, so, uh, engineers that work here, and you'll see them playing cricket out on these fields around Arizona, which is mesmerizing. And I was running one day, and the ball came up to me, and I I picked it up to throw it to him. I could not believe what the, how this ball felt. I was like, damn! I get just I'm scared out of my mind to see this ball coming at you, you know. Whereas you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know why you wear all this. Yeah, I was to say, I totally understand the padding now because you think, oh, it's like a baseball. No, it's not like a baseball. It's a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah, 156 grams of, um, of, of, of leather and cork. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's surprised the heck out of me. But uh, it, uh, yeah, it's, cricket is, is, is really interesting. As, as far as um, British Empire sports go, um, <laughs> I do enjoy cricket. I do enjoy the cr- uh, cricket. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I don't know the difference between it, but the, what do you call it? The Indian leagues that are not yeah, five days. Okay. Yeah. That to me is a little more consumable to me than the, yeah, you know, the, the test matches or whatever you call them. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just couldn't imagine watching five, one game for five days. I just, <laughs> <laughs> it, it helps that alcohol is often 
kind of you know oh i get you along through the five days you know that's my problem okay i gotta have a lot of beer okay, okay. <laughs> yeah no problem i could do that <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i don't know how cricket and baseball diverge but uh you do see a lot of similarities between them but damn they sure are different <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and coming back to spatially adjusted obviously we talked about about the fame um from spatially adjusted and um that sort of thing but Obviously, what you haven't talked about is the um, amazing financial rewards from from being so well known in the spatial industry. What's what's your secret to getting lucrative sponsorships? Because we're uh, out. Yeah, well, I just gosh, you know, it, I wish I knew what I did. You know, um, you know, it's like you know, it's like you you wake up and you're on third base to use a baseball. Uh, terminology. It's like, you don't know how you got there, but you're on third base. It's like, awesome. <laughs> you know, so how'd you get on third base? I don't know. <laughs> um, so, so using another baseball, if we, if we just keep asking, they'll come. I, you know, the thing is about, the thing is about it is just, you know, most people want to talk and want to, um, want to engage. And I think it's just, you got to just find the right people, you know, and get lucky enough to know those people. You know, there's so well, he's hoping. I mean, we've got you now, so you know. <laughs> it's well. The thing is, is right. It's 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 how do you, who do you know? Is is all that matters in the world, right? And sometimes you're lucky enough to know the right guy at a certain company, and you know that's awesome. You know, or, or the right guy in a project, saying, "Hey, I know the guy." You know, I know Paul Ramsey, who uh, you know basically wrote Postgres, you know, originally. And so, you know, if I have a Postgres question, I can ask him. You know, that's a pretty good resource. You know. Um, you know, but if, if, if I need to work with Oracle spatial, <laughs> I have no idea who to ask, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's just sometimes getting lucky and knowing some guy that knows some guy also does not hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You don't want to hand over your sponsors to us? You know? <laughs> whoever you want. <laughs> hey, whoever you want to meet, let me know. <laughs> well, we I mean that. Mercedes. <laughs> yeah um i'll let them know they'll send a couple test cars your way i think mark's got a, a different vision from sponsorship you know it's, uh, uh, the yacht the boat the ah um, uh, yes yes yeah. well oh and man. in our industry i mean that's perfectly possible you know <laughs> yeah totally possible we got plenty of time for a boat <laughs> oh yeah sure <laughs> that's good Thank, thanks so much for your time james it's, it's been really oh my good. pleasure yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it, guys. Um, I uh, yeah, I uh, I do I do subscribe to your podcast, so I I do listen. So um, you know, keep it up. You, I enjoy your podcast, and uh, hopefully, I'll be able to you know, remind other people that you guys are working hard down there and uh, <laughs> got some really cool stuff going on. That'd be great. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks so much. So, Mark, we're back. We are, and that was great. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I set up. Yeah, we've always appreciated James' commentary, but um, he w- he was as exciting as ever to talk to. And, and it's quite, um, you know, as we, we kind of said at the, the top of the interview, you know, um, he's, he's someone who's, uh, you know, you followed his podcast for, oh, sorry, his um, his blog articles blog. and later um, his... Um, hangouts. Hangouts, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's really good. And what we'd really like is to fit, if because uh, we've been talking about digital twins for two episodes now, mm-hmm. um, if people would like to get in touch with us, and um, off the back of what James has said, 
um, or their own thoughts about what digital twins mean and what it could look like in the future. And uh, just, just um, again, reading a report today, uh, I was looking at the Gartner, uh, you know, top Gartner. 10, Gartner, sorry, the Gartner top 10 um, strategic technologies for uh, 2019. And um, who'd have thought it? Digital twins. Is it number one? Uh, no, of course it's not oh. number one, okay. but um, it's it's pretty high on the list. So I'm just having to remember where it is now. That's true. Um, I think it comes in at he says struggling trying to find the page that he read it on. Um, Digital Twins comes in at number four. Okay, that is pretty uh, influential. So just just to run through it, autonomous things, augmented analytics, AI driven development, Digital Twins. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so with that, Chris, it's the end of our podcast. It is, Mark. Thank you. It's uh, It's been fun as ever. Yeah, and thank you, listeners. Uh, uh, yeah, we, indeed. We thank really you. do appreciate your patronage. Indeed, yeah. And, and uh, um, get in same time us. next podcast, I guess. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> See you then. See ya.